Welcome back to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast. I am Pastor Jeremy. And I am Pastor George. And uh, we're back here in the studio looking forward to a, a fun conversation to hear in a little bit. Um, but uh, for those of you who are new with us, welcome. Uh, we are a father and son pastoral team uh, serving in uh, the, uh, the city of Methuen, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. And uh, we're local church guys, and we are um, excited to be here and uh, having uh, yet another conversation here in the podcast studio, talking about the things that pastors tend to talk about throughout the week. Um, it's, I think it's just one of those things like you, you may know your pastor in your church. You may know them very well. You may just know them as the person who delivers content, uh, um, through, through your church, you know, through your church. And maybe you don't know what goes into the preparation for that or what pastors tend to do throughout the week. And a lot of what we do is, you know, talk and think and process, uh, life and information in the world around us. And, um, so this podcast is a chance for you to listen in on the processing, uh, on, on us having these conversations and working out, um, you know, kind of verbally, because I'm a verbal processor. Um, so working out verbally these, these ideas and kind of refining them and thinking them through. And so um, welcome to the journey on that. Um, we, uh, we, we love having you along and we love talking about all kinds of random things from movie reviews to, to deep theological issues. And uh, so, yeah, today we have uh, one of those, you know, one of those things that I've kind of thought about a lot um, over the course of my, uh, my adulthood, and we'll, we'll cover that here in a little bit. But before we get there, um, we'd love to have just a moment of talking about some theological terms, because I think every, every profession has its jargon. And uh, I think pastoral ministry is not exclusive of that. We have a lot of terms that we use casually or we use frequently that, that may go over the head of the average person. So we hit a term every week. Um, and this week's theological term of the week is... The theological term of the week. Propitiation. Propitiation. This is a great, like, straight out of Romans word, right? Like, you know, yeah. This so, is, question for yeah. you though: Is it jargon or is it vocabulary? What's the difference? Well, jargon would be more of um, uh, more like a slang concept. That's so, true. I yeah. mean, it is our vocabulary, but yeah, perhaps we use them in a jargon, jargon way. Yeah, yeah, we can just throw be. these around. Like, they're just part of the conversation. That's true. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how often propitiation jumps up in our normal conversations. Yes, it's, it's true. It's, it's one of those terms. So this maybe would, would be a vocabulary term, one of those ones that we know that informs how we think. Should, exactly. Right? Well, it, it yeah, it actually has some very clear significance of in a word. So Yeah. Yeah. So propitiation is a word, like you said, it's used in the Book of Romans. It's also used in First uh, John chapter 2. Mm-hmm. So you have two different, you have two different, uh, apostolic authors, Paul and John, both using the word on a regular basis. So that's kind of an interesting concept. Because um, sometimes sometimes people say, well, that's Paul. Oh, know? yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting when you see uh, more than one biblical author using a term or a concept mm-hmm. uh, that way well, you can't accuse it of just being uh, that author's... Like pet theological issue? Pet theological issue, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, the word propitiation uh, is an interesting word. It's used in the, con- in the context of, well, the word atonement. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about atonement 
a couple of weeks ago uh, in its yeah, particularity. Right? Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, in that concept of talking about atonement, we talked about an atonement as a covering for sin. And the problem with if it's a covering for sin, then it still exists. It's just undercover. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, if the atonement is a cleansing concept, it removes the sin entirely. So it's it's... We use the word atonement, but in that concept of atonement, we also use the word propitiation. And this is, this is the issue of debt. And who is the debt paid to? For, let, let's, let's, let's use a, a different word for, for four. Let's, uh, we're not going to do, we're not gonna do um, an Owen's concept of for whom did Christ die. Okay. All right? We're going to instead use a different concept of the word for whom and say, for whom did Christ die? Now, the first one, the first one of those concepts is, well, obviously he died for those who would trust in him as Savior, right? So you, you have that for whom. But why was it necessitated? Who did Christ die for? Did he die? Uh, there are some who think that Jesus died um, as a martyr, so he died for us. And in dying for us, uh, he showed us how we should live. So there's this whole martyr and example concept that we carry through mm. in culture that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being a Christian means being just like Jesus and being very sacrificial to the point of you would be willing to sacrifice your soul, your life, whatever, so that others could live. So that, that would be, but that's, not for whom Christ died. Yeah, that's interesting because I think that's a uh, wow. We could do. We got some long conversations about. We that. could. But another one though is, um, and and this is something that C.S. Lewis messes up in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is kind of an interesting idea, huh. and that is that Jesus dies to satisfy Satan. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it's the concept of, uh, you know, in Satan's defeat, it's kind of like like Jesus dies um, because Satan had some control over God or over Jesus, and in dying, he took away Satan's control, hmm. which sort of, but not really. He doesn't die to satisfy Satan, and here's where the concept of propitiation comes in. Jesus dies to satisfy God's wrath directed toward us. Hmm. So the concept of propitiation is the concept of sacrifice for the sake of pleasing the Father. Hmm. So he satisfies the penalty. He satisfies God's wrath. Now, we don't really think of it that way, right? When, when we think of Jesus dying, we think of Jesus dying to take away my sin. Right. Which he does. Right. right? I mean, that, that is, like, that is, he is satisfying the debt, but we don't necessarily think about who the debt is against. Who, exactly. And that's, that's this key concept of propitiation. It's not, it's not that I owe Satan. You know, we, we don't owe him anything. Right, right, right. It's, it's not satisfying a debt so that uh, I'm relieved and can now go and live my life the way I want it. It's satisfying God's, the debt that God has on us, that, that sin, he's, 
he's satisfied, taken away the, the debt of my sin before God so that God no longer holds me accountable for my sin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? I'm clean. It's the idea, I, I, I talk about this idea of, of settling debt concept. It's, it's, it's the idea of I'm justified, I'm brought to zero, mm-hmm. but then I'm plussed. Right, because that's, like, that's the idea of justification, which is another term. Um, but So yeah, justification brings us back to even. Yes. Right? You owe, you owe 20 grand on your car loan. Um, you pay that thing off. Now the car is yours. It doesn't belong to the bank anymore. At that point, you're even, right? You just own the car. Right. right? So this is different. Right. This is propitiation. God doesn't just bring me even. He, he makes me his own. Yeah. So he justifies. And He's, then also. He satisfies his wrath and then opens up the opportunity for me to be a son, mm-hmm. an adoptee, a a family member, an heir, an yeah. heir. Yes, you know, there's the concept of propitiation. God was angry with me because of my sinfulness. Jesus dies and takes away His wrath. Yeah. So the the owner of Visa Corporation pays off your Visa bill, and then not just hires you to work for Visa. That's that's not even an appropriate analogy, right? You just become the person who has all of the resources of Visa now available to you. You become a primary stockholder. Yeah. 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 Like you're yeah. on the board. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's this idea, right, of, of propitiation. Not just that your, your sins are forgiven, but that your, your debt that you have owed, which you could not pay, is now forgiven, plus you are now a member and heir of God's family. And key concept, and God is satisfied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because ultimately, totally you're, ultimately your, your sin is against him. Yes. Right? Yeah. Not against, not against Satan. You're not tempted by Satan to do bad things, and so he's this like little imp who sits on your shoulder and tells you bad things, and you give in. Like, you willfully sin. Like, you yeah. willfully sin against God. Um, you can blame Satan all you want, but it's you who does yes. it. Satan, you know, Satan may tempt and um and get in the way and and create you know difficulty in life but ultimately you're responsible for your sin and often you're the one you know you're all you're the one choosing to do it and you're not forced to do it by satan you're the one who chose to do it and because you're the one who chose to do it um god's angry and and the only way to satisfy his anger, there's nothing you can do to like apologize enough or change that enough or yeah offer enough penance or like Enough yeah. good things to on you know on weight that that willful sin that you've committed, it needs God Himself to intervene exactly and create that moment of forgiveness, and then not only because He's God, not only does He forgive, but He offers so much more. So here's here's a concept we don't handle a, a lot, and that is, my sin angers God, hmm. the loving God. My sin makes Him angry. And the only thing that satisfies that anger is Jesus Christ dying on the cross for me. So that's, that's the essence of propitiation, that he is the satisfaction that takes away God's wrath, not just covers it up like an atonement, not just, but washes it away and makes it perfect. 
Because that is, I mean, that's the shortfall of the law. You know, you can get, you, again, more things that we can go down the, lo- down the road on here. But, yeah. um, like, the, the law exists to kind of illustrate all of these areas in which our own efforts fall short. Yes. And so when you're talking about this scapegoating idea in Leviticus, um, you're seeing something that really does, it falls short. It doesn't quite, it doesn't quite satisfy the, 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 the need. And which is why it has to keep happening. And the yeah, law has yeah. to keep happening because the, the need is never satisfied. And you need, you need the, the change of the, the father to come in. Like you, need, you need the son. You need that sacrifice because the penalty is too great for you to handle. Right. So the law right. exists to show you this, this right. failure that like, you can do all you want here. You're going to run out of perfect spotless lambs. You're going to run out of goats to set free into the wilderness. You know, this is not going to work and you're going to get exasperated and you're going to come to the end of this and be like, God, what can I do? And at that point he intervenes and says, this I will do. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do it. And not I'll only, take care of it. Not only will I take care of it, but also this. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. that's that idea of propitiation. Yeah. So in our Bible reading, like I have a little Bible reading group um, and we're working, you know, Bible in a year group and uh, there's a place for comments at the end. And somebody had made this comment because we... I, a number of us are reading, I think, in the ESV. It's like a broad version. You know, lots of different versions being uh, consumed. A number of us are in the ESV. And this, this scapegoat idea, like, sparked a conversation that came up recently. Because in the ESV, they don't actually use that word scapegoat. Oh, really? Um, they use a proper name, which is Azazel. Azazel, yes. Yeah. Yes. So... I just, I tapped into that here a second ago. We're just like, oh yeah, scapegoat. We just had this conversation. What in the world is an Azazel? And, uh, you know, that, um, the, uh, I, the note here in my text says that, you know, nobody knows. It's just, right. It's a word that's in there in scripture. Um, it could be the name of a place. It could be the name of a particular known like demon or something like, but, you know, t- traditionally we've always used this term scapegoat in that area. So is that just like a term? Like the ESV is just because we don't have like the uh, a clear interpretation of the word. They're just throwing the actual word in there with a note like, hey, we don't have the clear interpretation of this. Yeah. The, but context tells us this yeah. thing. Yeah. The, the transliteration concept is becoming more and more. For example, I, I mean, I'm doing a, I'm doing a Sunday, a Sunday morning class with some of the guys here at Marsh uh, and we're doing we're doing psalms. We're mm-hmm. just taking a psalm from David. We're only doing David psalms. We're skipping over all of the all of the psalm psalms from Solomon and Korah and and Jeduthun. He's one of my favorites. Mm. And uh, um, we're, we're skipping all of those and just doing psalms from David. And there are quite often musical terms. Like yesterday, we were dealing with um, a shigayon. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you know there are others. You know, like uh, you know, like a um, a migdal, or mm-hmm. you know, or, and anyway, they all have um, they they all have some meaning, and, and you can apply a meaning, like the meaning for the word silah, right? Everybody, yeah. everybody yeah. sees the silah, and you say, well, what what does silah mean? And silah means it comes from the word meaning you know, lift it up. And it may have actually been a musical term that says, we're going to do a little musical interlude right yeah, here. Yeah, guitar solo. So yeah. that you can think about this, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, you know, so one of the best ways of taking a C-law is just say it means think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, if you wrote think about it in 
you know, all of those psalms that have a selah, uh, people would people would just read it and say, think about it, and they wouldn't take the time to just another word actually find out what's going phrase. on. Yeah. Right. So uh, in some ways, I, I think the ESV is resorting back to some of these transliterations because they, A, don't want you to say, well, it's just a scapegoat. Mm. Uh, and then B, the other thing that they're doing is they're, they're driving you to resources to say, what is an Azazel? Yeah. I mean, the same thing is happening. Like, we were reading in Mark, too, and Mark really likes to use the Aramaic terms that yeah. Jesus uses. Yeah. Um, you know, that don't necessarily, they don't always translate over, but sometimes, like, I think Mark tends to use... Mark Aram- or Matthew? <sighs> well, the <laughs> Are they both the same source? I no. <laughs> That's a no. fun conversation. I know. I don't believe that, but yeah, we could. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, friends, we could really wrinkle your brain with Q, couldn't we? Oh, uh, we so, could. Um, oh, can we use that word Q? I don't know. Can you? Because it's synonymous now, right? I, yeah. yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I think we just got black mark on yeah. this. So, um, yeah. So the, uh, um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah. The Aramaic term, yeah. They use a lot of Aramaic terms, and... I thought it was Mark. Um, I mean, it could be Matthew also, because um, there are some. There are a lot of shared stories and concepts in between the two books. About ninety percent. Yeah, but, yeah. Right. So, but yeah, those those two. I, I do. I actually think it's Mark. I'll have to look at this now okay. because Ma- right because Matthew's written to Jews, and I know that they're all speaking, you know, Aramaic. So I actually think that Matthew was written in Aramaic in its original, and then it was translated. It's into, translated into Greek and becomes yeah. a, a Greek body. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Ooh, but a... but Mark has Mark has more of a Latin flavor. It has actually more of an outreach to to uh, Romans. Mm-hmm. Um, I I recommend the Book of Mark if you're dealing with somebody who um, has no religious background whatsoever. Mm. If if you want to have a, a Bible study with somebody who has never read the Bible and doesn't know any of the Bible stories, take them to the Gospel of Mark because that's who the book of Mark is actually written for. Yeah, it, it's, it's a good point, right? Oh, man, we're, we're way afield, but this is, how, this is how we work. Yeah. So that's the, uh, uh, like the classic thing. Where were you going with things. the Aramaic thing? Oh, I'm just talking about these terms that get used, right? Like that, that, that the ESV particularly, but other versions also just decide not to translate. And I think that's oh, yeah. interesting, right? Like Gehenna? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's lots of those. Or um, the, um, the, the little girl that Jesus heals. Like, oh, Talitha. Talitha Kumi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Little or, girl or, arise. Yeah, right? Or Jesus on the cross, you know. Many, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Eloi, Eloi, Eloi. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, like all these terms that are, like they Aramaic. just intentionally yeah. leave them in the Aramaic. Yeah. And why do they, you know, why is that? It's just, yeah. it's an interesting it is an thing interesting to play question, with. Yeah. Anyway, like the Mark thing is also helpful. That's a little, nice little nugget. Because I think most people, like, well, if you have a new Bible reader, you're sending them to the book of John. John, yeah. Yeah. And Which John's is, trippy. Like, if they're a literary person or if they love, like, poetry or if they, like, embrace, like... Or if they went to Sunday school in some dead church somewhere along the line and they actually have, you yeah. know, some concept of the cast of characters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Yeah, that works John's out well. fun, but John is so full of, like, great imagery and metaphor and... Uh, it's written for Christians. It's beautiful. I love it. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, Mark is definitely more along the lines of, like, your typical Western thinker. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Quick yeah. and to the point, you get all the information. Yeah, he explains a lot of Jewish concepts mm-hmm. because the Jewish concepts aren't there. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, all right. Well, that's today's theological terms.
the theological term of the week. Of Far the afield. Week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one of these days we'll actually have that conversation about with, uh, you know, which New Testament which gospel New Testament is first? Gospel is first. Yeah, because yeah. I think I feel like we're in the minority on that one. We are. We are. Yeah. Yeah. That one's fun. Yeah. We'll get there someday. We first. should. I'll write it down. Yeah. Um, so today, though, we wanted to talk about something different because I, um, I just—it's that time of year. I just submitted um, all of my uh, tax information off to my accountant. And every time I do this, I have this. Because like, pastors need to have accountants. Because I don't oh know if you word. guys it's realize so complicated. this is nasty. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah, th- that's fun, right? So, so what a lot of people—if you—if you've heard this at all, perhaps you've heard. Like, maybe you don't know. Pastors get to claim a tax break um, on our housing cost, so we can you know we can show to the IRS a lower income because our ta- our housing is not taxable. Um, you know, which is wonderful. It's a wonderful benefit. Um, what most people do not know is that we're also seen as self-employed by the Social Security, Security Administration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, this is good because I want to talk about that too. Um, so that means that we pay double on that end of our taxes. You yes. know, most people, we have to pay the employer portion and the employee portion of our Social Security, Medicare, all that SSDI stuff. And most people don't even know that there is an employer portion. You know, they just figure it, that there are Social yeah. Security taxes, seven and a half percent. And the reality is your Social Security tax is 15.3% when you add in Medicare, but you pay half and your employer pays half, unless you're self-employed like a pastor is for Social Security Administration, but not for the IRS. Not for anything else. Yeah, it's so yeah. confusing. So that's why we have accountants. So um, the, uh, which then we have to pay for accountants, right? So yeah, yeah. This, this, you know, it sounds like a great benefit and then yeah. you know, they get you either way. That's how the government works. But this is one of the things that I, I was thinking about lately because I, I was waiting on um, some statements to compile to send off to my accountant. And, and one of those statements I was waiting on was a receipt from a charity that, that we gave to. And then that, that raises this question, right? Like you, in scripture, like G, one of Jesus' teaching, right? Like when you give, you know, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Oh, right? interesting that you quote that. Yeah. Bad. And so there is this thought here, right, that you should give without seeking benefit from your giving. Right. Yeah, I feel like okay. that thought comes out of that teaching. That, yes, it does. Like it can be used there. And so then with that in mind, should Christians claim their charitable contributions it's particularly like let's say you tithe regularly right like that that's that's a charitable contribution for now until like you know certain people have you know influence on that but for now that's charitable contribution and you know that place that you tithe toward um gives you a giving statement at the end of the year, you submit that to your taxes, that hopefully like benefits you because you've you know, like Christians are generous. We we lead the world in generosity. We do. And we do. And so with that in mind, like should you benefit on your taxes for that generosity if we're supposed to, you know, just give without expectation. Right, right. So let's start this conversation. I I, I realize we want to get to, you know, should you claim your your should you claim your church is giving on your taxes? Yeah, but let's let's start by trying to diagnose to try and digest, cut apart the whole concept of giving mm-hmm. um, from the Old Testament okay. and from the New Testament. Okay, right. so um, 
Because Jesus does say, you know, when you give alms, mm-hmm. don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And I, I think that's a I reverse cool that because I'm a concept. Lefty. Yes. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> um, so, so understand, you've got several levels of giving. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about, we'll talk about uh, tithing first. Mm-hmm. All right. Tithing is an Old Testament concept. The church, the church, the nation of Israel was commanded to tithe on a regular basis. That tithe was uh, 10% of all that they had, mm-hmm. and it was given directly to the temple where it would be divided up amongst the Levitical clans. So right. you have 12 tribes in Israel. 11 of those 12 tribes are given uh, actual physical territory that they Owned. own. Yep and is under their name and will be in their name forever and 11 can but so <laughs> 11 and but some of you are looking at me and say but there's 12 tribes of Israel and yes there are and there are 12 land tribes and that's because the tribes of Joseph get a double portion because because uh, Jacob considered Joseph, his firstborn son. Mm-hmm. So he gives Joseph a double portion. The tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim um, are each tribes that are given a portion that are of given land. a double portion of land because they belong they belonged to Joseph. Mm-hmm. All right. The tribe of Levi is cut out of land mm-hmm. holdership holding. They still have they still have flocks, they still have herds, they still have all of the all of the things that normal everyday Jewish people have. And they're given places where they can graze their sheep on a regular basis. They're given cities that they can live in. Uh, they're given all of that freedom, but their total income comes from the temple. And what God says to the nation of Israel is, you're to take 10% of your, 10% of your grain and 10% of your wine and 10% of your animals and 10% of your wealth, and you're to give it into the temple and that 10% is then going to be divided out amongst the entire family of Levi so that they also gain a blessing from being a part of the land. Mm-hmm. So your tithe is supposed to support that. There are offerings in the Old Testament, and offerings were identified with my relationship with God. So they go beyond the tithe is... is your basis. Your right? basis. Yeah. Right? Start, everybody starts. This is where we start. Everybody's going to be equal. Mm-hmm. And the best way to be equal is to use a percentage. 10% across the board, everybody's equal. Now, I would imagine, by the way, that the Levites tithed. Sure. And yeah, I mean, it was just kind of cycling back into the temple, which was again cycling back into the Levite family. But, but it was still a statement to the Lord of their. Still a statement to the yeah. Lord. Okay. Tithing identifies an individual as belonging. You are one. Offerings identify your relationship with God. Hmm. I gave a sin offering or a guilt offering, which says that my relationship has been broken. I make an offering. I have a fellowship offering. That's an offering that I make that says I have a relationship with God that connects me to God and connects me to others. That was actually an offering that you ate part of, mm-hmm. and you gave part of it to the Levite, who was actually sacrificing it, and just a part. Yeah. All right? Potluck. Right. 
Right, exactly. Yeah. A, a potluck concept, it, it, was, it was having fellowship, mm-hmm. right? So tithes, offerings, and then in addition to offerings, by the way, there is a temple tax mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, and that's initiated, uh, that's initiated later um, in, the, in the Davidic monar- monarchy. Right, the temple doesn't exist for a long time. Temple's falling apart. Uzziah says, you know, I bet if we charged, if we asked everybody to give one, one shekel, mm-hmm. that we could maintain the offering, ma- maintain this building. And so they had a one shekel tax, and everybody brought their shekel to the temple. They actually took a box, drilled a hole in the top, and just said, drop your coin in here. They were in a place, according to the scripture, they were in a place in Uzziah's life where they were emptying the box every day, and they still had the box overflowing because it was such a simple thing for the maintenance of the building, just a shekel apiece, and boom, they carried it. So, mm-hmm. so you have tithes, offerings, and a temple tax. You also have a monarchy. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that, that, uh, that Samuel tells Israel when they come to him and say, hey, we want to be like everybody else, we want to have a king. One of the things that Samuel says is, if you have a king, he's going to take your, he's going to take your sons to be in his, in his armies, and he's going to take your sons and daughters to be servants of his in his house, and he's going to take of your flocks, and he's going to take of your herds. He's going to, basically, you set up a government with a king, he's going to tax you. Yes, yep. And Israel says... Great, let us be taxed. So, yeah, yeah. So you have government, mm-hmm. and you have you have a taxation system that that rises in Israel. Um, you know, at times that flexes right at some point it becomes so burdensome that it creates a split. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Rehoboam right? saying, "You thought my dad's taxes were big? Yeah, just wait till you see mine." Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, it it just gets crazy like that. So here's the deal. Um, I give, uh, or we as Christians carrying the concept forward into the New Testament, have the concepts of tithes and offerings. Mm-hmm. It, somebody has said, oh, I don't see that the Bible ever commands tithing. Well, you know what? God, Jesus commended it. Sure. He, it's the only thing he says good about the Pharisees. <laughs> yeah. In kind of a backhanded sort of yeah, way. Yeah, it's a little passive-aggressive, but he yeah. does say that, doesn't he? A little he? backhanded way. You tithe if you dill. You, you're, yeah. You're dill and you're mint and you're cumin and you go, neglect the larger things. Don't, yeah. ne- don't ignore the first things. Do the others, too. Exactly. Yeah. In, in fact, one of the, in Matthew, here's this really crazy phrase about that tithing of your dill and your cumin. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, as you should. Yeah, yeah. Like, Yeah. So for the last time, so... For that person out there who's saying, oh, the Bible never, the New Testament never commands me to be, to tithe. Well, Jesus commends it. Seems like that's a pretty good thing to me, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, So there's tithing, and tithing was so acceptable that everybody knew about it. Mm-hmm. For example, the widow's mite, mm-hmm. right? How does, how does Jesus know that she's giving? Easy answer. He's watching. Yeah. He actually, the scripture actually says that Jesus had set himself up. He, he just 
found a spot he's hanging out in the, the temple, yeah. and he's watching people give. Yeah. And when the widow gives her two cents, he turns to his disciples and he says, you see this lady? She's given more than everybody else here because she's given all that she has. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool because Jesus knew that. But guess what? Everybody else in the room knew that she'd given. Right. It was. Yeah, you're right. Because it's still a public thing. There's, sure. This observed. Yeah. And, and that's kind of why I like, I know a lot of churches have gone to the passive offering concept where they, they just have a box in the back. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I despise that. Mm. I, I like the idea of passing an offering plate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I confess that I've gotten to a point where I, I do online giving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I do that. A lot of people do that. Um, a lot of people in our church do that. Um, the difficulty with that is that I, I like the idea of actually physically passing an offering plate because it's a statement of worship. Sure. You see that statement of worship. It's a unified there. statement of worship too, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. Because remember, the tithe is about unity. Yeah. It says I belong. Yes. Right? So, um, yeah, the concept... So we have cards that we put in our... I'm not sure a lot of people use them. I see I occasionally... I think people still do. Yeah, yeah. Occasionally, yeah. And we have a card and, you know, like has, a, yeah. has a QR code that you can scan and, and it will register your gift or... Um, if if you just want to drop it in the offering plate as a means of saying, hey, I did give this week, mm-hmm. um, but you're participating. Tithe, offering, we, we do an offering thing here at Marsh yeah. annually, yep. where, uh, and it's sacrificial, it's, it's more than just the 10%, it's the statement of, I'm going to give a little bit more mm-hmm. and allow God to bless me and just be part of the fellowship. Um, but here's, see, so tithes, offering, taxes... And charity. Mm-hmm. See, the word alms in Matthew chapter 6 is a different word from the word for tithe or offering. Yeah. The word alms comes from the concept um, in, in the book of Leviticus that I was not to allow people to starve to death. That's that idea of like not cutting the corners of your field. Exactly. Or letting people go in and eat like handfuls of your produce and it's yeah. not a big deal. Yeah. And you were supposed to, you were only supposed to um, winnow your field once. Yeah. Right. So those of you who aren't, those of you who aren't farmers, which is, uh, I think it's 94% of you <laughs> out there because only 6% of the, 6% of the United States is actually in farming. The wow. other. Ninety-four percent of you just eat the good stuff that good farmers yeah. uh, produce. So uh, winnowing is like you have a um, you have a very large knife on a on a on a long stick, and you go through and you cut the grain. And uh, when you cut the grain with that size, and sometimes they would actually have a basket, so that the grain would fall into a basket. You would gather that and and mm-hmm. tie it with a, and that would be a sheave. And you would cut it, and you would, and it would drop. What what God says is, you winnow once. Mm-hmm. Anything that doesn't cut, you have to leave. And then the welfare system of the welfare system of Israel is that idea of you have the corners that you're not supposed to cut, 
because they're hard to cut anyway. Mm-hmm. So you, you have the corners that aren't cut. You have any grain that you've gathered together, that when you're gathering it together, it's fallen out. Mm-hmm. And you have anything that didn't cut. Mm-hmm. All of that was, was supposed to be left for the poor to come and gather after you were done. Right. Because, I mean, if you think, we, do, we live so far away from an agrarian society. But in, you know, in history, that, that's how that works, right? That's how economies work. Like you, yeah. you farm enough for your family. And if you're successful, you farm enough so that your family can eat for the year and then you can sell the excess. Yes. And, you know, and ultimately, like either your king or your, or your, um, your um, culture, your country, um, they like will help, you know, commodi- commoditize, you know, they will turn, you know, that excess into something that maybe even your country can export. And, and that becomes a way of your your country, you know, generating wealth. So that's kind of how that works yes. in this time period, yeah. right? Like yeah. each family has to farm their own food, basically. Right. And if there's excess, that gets you know sold, sold right? Right. Um, but but under the law, you farm in such a way that those who cannot farm for themselves or do not have enough in their own yield from their own family farm can come and reap from yours also yes. so that they have enough to survive. Right. It's called gleaning. Yep. Yep. So here's the deal. In that culture, you also grow up a subset of the culture whose employment is begging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, a very, it's a very specific set of people. It's something that's far outside of our present-day culture. But they are individuals whose whose job, whose role in life is is to be beggars. They may be uh, blind and uncap- incapable of working. They may be leprous and outside of the culture and outside of the community. So, I mean, you wouldn't hire a leper, for example, to go and handle your food mm-hmm. your food supply because who knows it how it clean. spreads, right? Yeah. So, um, it's also it's also um, women who do not have sons or husbands. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, were, they were limited in what they could do within the culture. So those, that's why you have the book of Ruth. You have Ruth and Naomi, who have both lost husbands and have no sons. That's why you have them gleaning in the field of Boaz, mm-hmm. right? And have Boaz saying to his workers, hey... For the, Don't uh, cut as well. For the cute little Moabite girl, make sure you drop some. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, feed her. Yeah. You know, because she can then take, she has the other side of it, right? It, it's not just the industrious beggar mm-hmm. who goes out and gleans that field. They can then take enough for themselves, but also they can sell. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. Nothing, nothing it says you can't sell because you need more than food. You need clothing and so on. So you're going to turn some of that food, some of that wheat into other stuff. Anyway, you get this subset of beggars. Mm-hmm. And in Jesus' culture, begging was not looked down upon. Begging was just looking at an individual and saying, this is, this is his place in my culture. Mm-hmm. And my responsibility within the culture is to take care of that person. To take care of them. Yeah. Right? Used to have that in growing up in New York City. We had beggars everywhere, right? Yeah. And they were, 
you know, th- at the time, I mean, beggars, begging is, begging is good money. Yeah, you know, it can it's, be. It's, uh, it's like tax-free dollars, and it, it can be, it can be probably these days, if you're a beggar in New York City, you're probably making 50, 60, 70,000 easily, mm-hmm. maybe more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and begging has a hierarchy. Right. Um, and a network. And a network, yeah. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're begging in New York and you're down on like, down on like uh, 23rd Street or, you know, 14th Street, you know, you're pretty local and that's, that's – you'll survive, but that's not really good money. I mean, the good money is like Times Square money. Right, right. You know, and you work up to that. You mm-hmm. don't just – Yeah. And there's a whole class of that still in our culture too, right? Yes. You have, you have everything from like, you know, like you're, you, you would think like, you know, somebody who's disabled or like, a, you know, you know they're, 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 they're often holding the homeless veteran sign, right? Um, you also have like even like buskers, right? Like these musicians who actually have to go and get a, <laughs> a uh, license or a permit from the town and they set up their guitar case or whatever, yeah. or, they, or they're like, they set up their they're five gallon buckets and they play in central park. Like those people, that's another form of this idea, yes. right? They're entertaining, yes. but they are begging like, and they're yeah. in that class yeah. and they're using what their skills are to, to earn a living. Yes. Right. So there is a broad range of that. Sure. And not and, everybody and, that's homeless. Right. Is, uh, you know, has, I guess the bottom line is there are people who have chosen that lifestyle. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people who haven't and a lot of people who have, right? Yes. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into that, that if you actually get into that community and serve that community with your modern day alms, that you kind of learn more about that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's true. So we have, we have reflections of that culture, even in today's culture, but it was much sure. more predominant in Jesus' sure. culture. So take that and put it into perspective. Tithing, known concept on part of the fellowship. Mm-hmm. Offerings. Known concept, because I want to be, I want to be known as somebody who's sensitive to sin in my life, and I want some. I mean, dragging a lamb into the temple is something that everybody saw. Mm-hmm. And if you were bringing, I mean, given the fact that there are some really distinctive sacrifices in this list. That's if, true. If, if you're bringing a particular sacrifice, if, then people kind of know what you're sacrificing like, for. Oh. What did yeah, he do? Yeah, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of a thing, right? So, whoa, a bowl. What they do? Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 everybody. So here's another thing. Here's another thing that is is, I, I would say, crazy about American tax systems, um, because they're progressive. Not everyone pays the same amount. Mm-hmm. Um, the the concept of the concept in Israel was that everybody has to pay something. Mm-hmm. And you see that in the sacrifice that Joseph and Mary make for the circumcision of Jesus. Right. They bring the cheapest sacrifice possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's most likely because they are young and poor, Mm -hmm. and they make that that sacrifice, but it's not like a, oh, I don't have enough for the sacrifice, so I'm I'm just coming for the circumcision. Right. You know? They still had to come up with. They still had to come up with a couple of pigeons, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and they gave something. 
So that's so there's some concepts of giving right from scripture. So let's talk about this idea. Let's roll that into perspective and talk about should I put my should I put my um, giving to my church on my taxes? Because that's the ethical question that you were asking. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that the answer to that is, quite honestly, the answer to that is yes. And here are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, number one is uh, your tithe shouldn't be something that's hidden. Hmm. The Matthew 6 giving was the alms, the alms of your heart. Hmm. And, and here's, here's the thing. If, if you're walking down the street and you see somebody begging and you stick your hand in your pocket and you feel cash, give it. Mm. Don't look at it and say, man, did I just drop a $100 bill into his bag? Okay? That's basically what Jesus is saying. Is you, If you have the opportunity to give to somebody that has the obvious need within the culture, do so. Yeah. Right? And don't ask them for a tax receipt. Don't ask them for a tax receipt. Yeah. No. No. And, and that touches another third, third rail thing for me, too, and that is that <laughs> I, I, I tend to despise charities, hmm. um, unless they're really good ones. <laughs> um, and, you know, I kind of have a, my own personal list, but, you know, if, if, you're, if you're giving if you're giving because you want to feed hungry Jewish people uh, for Passover, what are you doing? I mean, who are those people? I mean, isn't it better to, uh, to find poor people in your own community? Um, if, you're, if you're going to a church, which I hope you are, uh, if you're going to a church and you know that there's a family in your congregation with young children, uh, you know, five, six years old, and you know that this family isn't very wealthy, um, there is, I don't think there's anything that prevents you from setting up a 529 plan for them. Hmm. If God has blessed you with wealth but has not blessed you with children, why aren't you helping the children in your church? Hmm. And I'm not talking about teaching them Sunday school either. Hmm. I'm saying, why aren't we? We need more. We need more people in churches who are willing to look around and say, "I have poor people in my church. I need to take care of them." Now, there are churches that don't have poor people. Mm-hmm. What do I do with that? Well, find some poor people. <laughs> yeah, and bless them. And bless them. Yeah, and and bless them directly. Listen, from what I understand, the federal government takes 75 cents out of every dollar that goes to welfare. If you're saying to yourself, well, the federal government's going to take care of this, you know, I, I, pay, I pay my taxes so that they can pay, they can, they can help people the with welfare. Yeah. Exactly, right? Which, doesn't that sound a lot like Ebenezer Scrooge? Mm-hmm. Um, the government takes 75 cents out of every dollar and gives 25 cents to the average person who's receiving welfare. What would happen if we direct deposited that? Hmm. What would happen if we as, we as believers in Jesus Christ, and I, quite honestly, here's the deal. 
prior prior to the great the prior to the 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 New Deal, mm-hmm. the 1930s, uh, the government did not have a welfare system. Prior to the Great Society in the 19, 1960s, the government did not have the massive welfare system that we had. What we had was we had churches that ministered to the poor and took care of that, and somewhere along the line, the government tried to grab it. All right, enough of a political soapbox. <laughs> what, what we should be doing is we should be finding poor people and meeting their needs, mm-hmm. and that's not something that you can then put on your taxes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Your giving statement, here's the deal. When the government says, did you give to charities? Did you give to your church? Be a good steward and just say, yep, I, I, gave, I gave to my church. I gave my tithe. I gave an offering. I gave, you know, whatever. The government says you can take it. I drove for this youth event. Yes. Here's the mileage for that. Yes. Or I, you know, I, I track your miles if, you, uh, if you're taking individuals to, to doctor's appointments for the church mm-hmm. uh, or, or any of that. Do, do all of that. It's the little stuff. It's the little stuff. It's, it's the small stuff, which adds up big time, mm-hmm. that Jesus says, don't be worried about that. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. Don't be worried about how much money you hand out to poor people. Yeah. Just do it. Don't be worried about that guy on the street at, that, or outside of the Walmart that you know, is looking for spare change. Uh, I would, by the way, not give him spare change. I'd give him, I would give him food. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Give him what he needs because, unfortunately, so many of those folks are using it for stuff that's bad. Yeah. But you know what? God doesn't even tell me that I'm supposed to be concerned about that either. Mm-hmm. He just says, if you see them, give. Right. And, uh, and, and that's not a tax thing. I can't, write off, you know, I can't write off 52 hot dogs that I've purchased over the year <laughs> because yeah. uh, I saw some guy that needed a hot dog. Yeah. I think we all need a hot dog once in a while. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a great lunch. Yeah. So that's how I would handle it. I, I would tell you, please give. Now, don't give. I, I, I'm a little suspect of people who are saying, oh, well, you know, I can lower my taxes by, by dropping, you know, dropping another check. If, if I gave another $1,000 at the end of the year, yeah. I lower myself into this other tax bracket, and then I, I earn this much, right? Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would question that. Yeah. You're Who's, not giving with the right heart. Yeah. But, but if you're giving... If you're giving, if you're tithing, if you're sacrificially offering to the Lord, you know, extra, take it. Yeah. Here's, here's kind of where I, I land on this, like, uh, you know, on a lot of these issues. I think, like, one of the things I, I, I say frequently when I teach teenagers particularly is that if you follow God's rules, then you're playing the game correctly because he wrote the game's rules. And if you're going to play the game correctly, then expect to do well. Right, like this, you know, you can take that too far and end up in this place where prosperity preachers end up, right? But I think ultimately, if you're following the rules that God has written for His world, you should expect to do better than somebody who ignores the rules. Yes. And so, if you're going to follow the things that God gives us as both as obedience and then 
you know, for the things that aren't directly obedience out of wisdom, then you should expect to see, you should not feel bad about benefit, right? You should, you should say, wonderful, this is an indicator that perhaps I have, I have understood the rules that God has given me, right? I think you will do better in life if you follow the rules than if you ignore them. And yeah. that plays out in so many areas, right? I, I, I saw a great thread the other day about um, the misconceptions that the world has on Christians and marriage and then the real data behind those misconceptions. Interesting. Yeah, and it, it was awesome. Um, it talked about how um, there are all of these places where people, uh, well, just as many Christians get divorced as non-Christians. And um, the, uh, the reality was that's entirely wrong. That, that, that's not, you know, not at all true. And, um, you know, that if I live with a partner, you know, before, mar- you know, before I get married, then I will be happier. Right? Oh, I found it. Here it is. So the culture says, this is a great little list. There aren't too many of these. The culture will say evangelicals aren't really pro-life. They're just pro-birth. They don't care about babies after they're born. You've all heard this thrown at us. The data says conservative Christians adopt more children than any other population segment and more than doubling the norm. That's awesome. Right? That should continue, by the way. Yes. Um, Culture says the church is sexually repressive and anti-sex. It's this whole purity culture, and it actually churns out people you know, who are repressed and angry and, and messed up. But the data says that church-going conservative Christians are in a category with the most fulfilling sex lives by far. Yes, I've heard that, yeah. Right? More, the church is emotionally repressive and destructive to your mental health. The data says that regular church attendance dramatically improves your mental health. The only people in the United States whose mental health improved in 2020 were regular church attenders. Right. Right. right, And the list for this kind of stuff goes on. The evangelicals don't care about the poor. They just care about political power. Here's this great. The data says church-going Christians are exponentially more generous to the poor with both time and money than the rest of the population. And there's graphs that go along with all of these ideas, right? right. And it's but see, massive differences. But see, the thing there is I don't think evangelical Christians are funding the United Way. Mm-hmm. So if your de- if your determination is that that evangelical Christians don't care about the poor because they're not giving to organized charities that the world says is is important and are responsible for feeding the poor, then uh, then they're missing they're missing the data because evangelical Christians are they're doing what I was talking about. They're finding individual poor people. They're finding poor people in their community. They're they're localizing it. They're doing these great things on a local level or even on an international level through massive charities like Compassion International mm-hmm. or... Uh, Spirit's uh, Purse. Yeah. yeah. Just huge giving areas mm-hmm. that totally missed because the world says, well, this is how giving is done. Mm-hmm. And this is how you care for the poor. And here are the Christians who are, who are funneling money into, into poverty ministries that most people don't even realize. Yeah, yeah. I watched this happen firsthand after Hurricane Sandy. Like the first team that shows up at our church. I lived, you know, I lived basically where Hurricane Sandy hit landfall in New Jersey at the time. And, you know, the first people that showed up at our church were a group of Southern Baptists from like North Carolina who brought like semi trucks full of like material and had full kitchen setups and they were feeding 
like 10 to 13,000 hot meals a day out of our church parking lot for people who had lost everything. And the Red Cross were just the taxis moving that hot food made by the Christians out to the people who needed it. Right. Right. And none of that got publicized. Nobody knows about that. Right. 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 Except for the people who got the hot food. Well, and they, the people who got the hot food got it from the Red Cross. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And right. then they contributed to the Red Cross. And you know what? The Baptists didn't care. No. Right. Exactly. Right. They knew. Because left hand, right hand. Yeah. Why? Yeah. And they were giving away. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So the, t- the concept of giving here is, is still, there's layers. Well, I guess the idea here of the podcast is this idea of giving is definitely layered and nuanced. Yes. But I think understanding how giving works from a scriptural perspective can give you some freedom as a believer in how to manage your money. I, I think that you can feel confident in knowing that if I give to the Lord a tenth of my income overall to the church, like that's a statement of my belonging to the church. It helps the church flourish and function, um, and that's a great basis and starting point. And ultimately, I'm giving to the Lord, not to my government. And so, like, I don't need to then like shield that money from the government. I can take that benefit. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's the Lord we're giving to, and the church we're giving to, not the government. And if we don't actually report that that giving, then we're giving the government extra. Yes. Um, Which they'll they'll. they'll They'll waste. Right. Uh, so, um, they'll use poorly. Yeah. Okay. Sure. They'll use poorly. Okay. Because here's here's one of the things here's one of the things about government. Government. It's not personal. It's not personal. It has no emotion. Yeah. So because it has no emotion and no personal, it's not personal. It can't feel or understand where giving should actually be accomplished. Right. So I I think that if you set up a budget, mm-hmm. keyword, you should do that. Okay. You set up a budget, and in your budget you identify tithing as like the number one item i put mm-hmm. in the, the budget form that i give to people tithe the tithe comes before your taxes mm-hmm. if you set up your budget with a tithe i believe that what you end up with at the end is a surplus mm. which is pretty crazy mm-hmm. but you end up with a surplus and then from your surplus you can earmark a portion of your surplus. You can even say, and God, if you'll give me a surplus from living at my budget, I'm going to take 10% of that surplus and earmark it toward charitable, charitable giving to other people, to, to other ministries, to, uh, to feeding a poor person in my community, to setting up a college program for, for the kids in my, in my church that don't have yeah. money to go to school. To blessing a young single like person in your church, or yeah. like, you know, giving yeah. toward a local ministry, like all those. Find a yeah. seminary student, man, alive. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's your, it's a great way of lay, kind of like being intentional about what you do with your finances. Yes, right. I think that 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 is a call for us to to steward what we're given yes. well, to make sure that we um, first and foremost. You know, declare to the Lord our reliance on Him yep. by putting His like that tithe first, and saying like first things first. I'm going to give this, and then I will figure out the rest based on what's remaining. And then you do that, and then at the end, what is what comes out of that? You can then give in these other spaces, whether they yeah. be you know offerings that that come up, or that could be sacrificial, or um, you know gifts to missionaries or people that you know specifically. All of that can come out of that excess. Yeah, and uh, and watch God continue to multiply that. That's what I've experienced. Always. by the way, yes, me um, too. 
the more carefully I've managed my finances, the more freedom I have found to be generous. And I think the most fun thing in the world is to be generous. Yes. Like there, nothing beats that feeling. Uh, as somebody who's like even been a recipient of a lot of generosity in my life, I would also say like nothing beats the feeling of just being able to slide like a gift towards somebody who's not expecting it and watch them being blessed. Yes. It's, it's really fun to do it anonymously. We love doing that. Um, but man, it is just one of the coolest feelings in the world. Like nothing makes you feel more wealthy in this world than to be able to do that to somebody, give that, give to somebody yeah. who needs it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, like, don't, don't like, don't miss out on that wonderful, like feeling and opportunity by like trusting that somebody else will handle it. Right. You're missing out on one of the great benefits of life and one of the great joys in life, like finding generosity and generosity comes when we're wise with what we have. Yeah. So be wise. Be wise. Yeah. I hope we've yeah. clarified that. Maybe we've made it even more confusing to you. I don't know. Office but, at marshcorner.com yeah, or, or podcast. podcast at marshcorner.com. Either one, you will get get you to us, and we'll continue the conversation. Have a conversation with a friend. You know, talk about it over dinner around your kids if you have them. Please, they need to hear about this. These, you know, I know that like having money conversations can be awkward at the dinner table. This is a good one to have at the dinner table. Totally. Um, have this conversation with friends. Like, how do we handle our resources well so that God's kingdom expands financially? You know, or can God's kingdom can bless, be blessed by what we have. Um, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast with Pastors George and Jeremy Stevens. Artwork by Caitlin Gallagher. Music by San Demetrius. And engineering help from Ashley Gallagher. To find out more about us, head to marshcorner.com.